You are now listening to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Mr. Simon Roy. Hello, Robbie. How's it going? You have two first names, dude. Uh, yeah, so in the States, but actually in, in Quebec, my, my first name is like the first, uh, is one of the top three most common names in the, in the province. So you're from Canada. Yeah. So people think my first name is Roy and think my last name is Simon and they get confused. But I like, here, uh, I like Simon Roy. It's, it's it's professional. It sounds like a business executive. Thanks. Yeah, it's got like a few syllables. You know, it can be be catchy. You don't have to spend a lot of time writing it. My uh, teachers used to torment me when I would get in trouble. They would make me write my first and my last name out, and it's yeah. Robbie Robertson. So doing that a hundred, two hundred, three hundred times at the end, you get that uh, pencil indent on like the middle of your middle finger or something, where you're like, yeah. I can't use my hand for the rest of the day. Yeah. Oh no, for detentions it was fine. I didn't get into too many, but for the for the occasional one, you know, Simon Roy, they just but then they add more times because then they know that your name is shorter, so then they'll just add a bit more. Mine, they were like, "Oh, you like doing that?" I'm just like, "No, this is painful." They're like, "Why don't you add your middle name in there?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't know how to spell my middle name, so boom." Imagine the people with like four or five middle names, then they're. That's even more tricky. I had a guest, uh, I called him T throughout the podcast. He's a good dude, but his name was like 20 syllables long. I couldn't pronounce it. It felt so bad, but I'm like, man, imagine trying to write something that is like 50 letters long, like 10 states included. Like that's Mississippi, Arkansas, Canada, United States uh, Junior. It's like, holy crap, you have a long name, sir. I think it's people who have trouble uh, choosing and then they end up trying to stack up, okay, this this name has a bit of emotional value because it was this great, great uncle. And then you just stack them up and it just never stops going. You know? Mine, I'm just going to name them after the four Ninja Turtles because, I mean, with the true deep down desire, which is probably what you want to talk about. It's, uh, it's pizza, yeah. man. It's that slice, dude. It's that warm taste yeah. in the mouth, depending on where you're getting it from. I know you don't have Little Caesars there, um, which no. I'm very it's, – it's, it's a good thing. You haven't been ruined yet. Um, yeah. but what exactly do you do? Yeah, so I've got my, my Instagram blog where I do, uh, my name is there's Dr. Neapolitan because I'm a physician by training, but uh, for fun, like I'm slinging pizzas, feeding friends. Uh, right now during COVID, I'm feeding uh, pizzas to my friends who are working you know, on the COVID ICU, all that stuff. Um, so I don't do delivery yet. I just do delivery kind of more for friends and more for me practicing the craft trying to always improve my pizzas, improve the, the dough, the crust, the sauce, everything. How'd you exactly yeah. get started into making pizza? Like, is it just one day you were like, I'm bored. I want to go off Amazon and order me some dough and see where I go from there. Yeah. So that's, what's funny is I think once you get into starting into pizza and even your the first one you make is generally always even leagues, leagues ahead of like store-bought dough or store-bought pizza. So even with my first one, which I actually have pictures of, and looks kind of a bit all crooked. The dough didn't really rise that much. It was still better than uh, what it usually had, just because it was quality ingredients, you know, well-sourced ingredients. And it was actually for Valentine's Day, uh, like two years ago. So I thought, 
oh, I'm going to make, you know, a cute little heart-shaped pizza for my girlfriend. Then I'm going to put some mozzarella, bufala, like buffalo cow milk, then make it all fancy. And just that just got me started from there. And I think what changed the game too was that I was used to looking up like recipes where you just make the dough the same day, you know, a two hour, three hour rise. Then you never get a nice puffy crust. You never get any complexity of flavor. So then that's when the game really started. It's trying to improve the dough. Then learning different styles. You know, I do Detroit style. I do the Sicilian, which is a bit like Detroit. Do a New York. And of course, with my name there, Dr. Neapolitan, mostly do uh, Neapolitans. Only when it's nice outside. And here in Canada, that means like six months a year. I can cook with the, the outdoor oven. Do you prefer to make that pizza over all the others? And if so, why? Like why, why especially that type of pizza? Because like, I think you can tell a lot by uh, pizza YOLO, I'd call them, just from talking with Mike, just from talking from Scott and talking with Edgar. You can kind yeah. of tell that every way they've kind of shaped to craft out their pizzas has been a little bit based on what they're interested in. Like I know Edgar, he's a, he's a thin crust guy. I can't handle thin yeah. crust. I need to have a nice thick crust, but I think much that you've probably experienced if you go to a pizza shop or you've eaten a pizza somewhere yeah. is they have that fake crust. And when I mean that fake crust, I mean that one where you bite into the crust and it's nothing but air. Like, it's just like you could stick your whole fingers all in there. Like where's the actual inside right. texture to it. I'm like, that's that's fake crust to me man when you have that false crust i approach it with this sense of confidence like it's gonna be a nice fucking slice and then you bite into it and you're like nothing but air you're like i've been lied to my life is a lie santa claus isn't real where am i like it's that whole thing yeah so true but you know with the fake crust thing what i think is because there's two variants there's like you can have a really nice fluffy crust that's full of air but it's because of like long fermentation. It's because of using a pre-ferment, which is like kind of part of dough that you made before and you incorporate that into other dough. Um, so that really gives complexity flavor. But if probably what you're talking about is that it's just like kind of empty inside and not much, or it's kind of very stringy. And But if you had like nice puffy, like very airy, that's kind of thin, so you, you eat even end up eating more dough just because it's enjoyable and you don't feel like heavy as much. And one also rule of thumb that I kind of do is that I'm more of a hybrid. So, you know, Edgar that was on the show is he really likes his classics. Uh, then Mike, who you had on the show, Pizza in the Sack, he's a bit more adventurous. He's trying out these wild things. My Chick-fil-A pizza. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, thinking outside the box. Like he did the Corona pizza where he had this toilet paper roll pizza. It was like the cheese would kind of just curled around itself. But... Um, yeah, for myself, I'm more of a hybrid. Like, I haven't chosen one dedicated style. I still like doing different styles. And I find that the important thing is once you get to the, on a thin crust, you never want to stack it, stack it full of ingredients. Like, it has, to, the amount of toppings has to be consistent with the thickness of the crust. So thicker crust can usually, like a Sicilian or Detroit, can support the weight of a bit more toppings. You know? So that's kind of a good rule of thumb to follow is that, you don't want the like super ultra toppings on the very thin, thin New York or thin, uh, thin Neapolitan, which is the bad experience a lot of people have had. 
Well, I think it's the same thing Edgar brought up. The best part was the fact is that you can get a pizza that has so many toppings into one. It's like a combination of flavors that is over, um, I guess, oversensitive to your taste buds, I would say. Like you're just, it feels like somebody's just shoving a million different things into your mouth. You're like, I just want to focus on a simple, basic taste. And I think that's what we get a lot of the times. Like, if you want, like, I don't know how um, influenced you are or how much you've experienced when it comes to pizza chain restaurants. The reason why I don't like Little Caesars is it's a hot and ready style joint. It's like if you take a fridge pizza or you take something out of a frozen dinner aisle and then you try to reheat it and sell it like it was professional pizza. It's mm-hmm. not at all. It tastes like cardboard. I don't care if my grandpa hears this and gets mad at me for it. Yeah. It tastes like shit, grandpa. I'm sorry. But it's it's cheap. It's easy to pick up. It's why it's called hot and ready. But um, it just tastes like plastic to me. And then, like, my all-time favorite is Domino's. And that's only because they learned oregano on the crust. And I think that is a huge factor because, well, like we were saying before, with the styles of pizza making, also, depending on what the person likes to eat, do they like pineapple on their pizza? For some reason, that's a big problem with a lot of people. I don't think pineapple should be on my pizza. I'm like, if it fucking tastes good, eat it. You it's know, an eternal debate. That's yeah, eternal debate that one. But when you're eating a slice like this, food has been brought over from a whole nother place, brought over to the states, and then popularly sold here, manufactured here. I mean, any spot in my town you walk to, any place that has a little bit of tourism, there is a pizza joint. It's a comfort food. It's an emotional food. It's why any meme you see, there's like a pizza slice and you're crying, but you're eating a pizza slice or something is because it's that emotional food. It's like ice cream. And I think what really goes into it is what do you typically prefer? So if I was going to ask you what do you want to get from a pizza place or what do you want out of a pizza what are you looking for like the details how do i find this dr neapolitan style that i've heard so much about yeah that's that's a good question because honestly uh so here in montreal there aren't that many pizza options and the ones that are it's either like all entirely neapolitan and there's not like to my knowledge i think i'm the only one doing detroit pizza well there's maybe a few uh like others, amateurs like me, who are doing it for fun, but I don't. There's no like chain, or there's no uh, independent pizza store making them. So sometimes I've been developing styles just because they're they aren't available here. But I find for me, um, if they have a wood fired oven inside, you know, and I can just kind of, and you can have you can have a look at them, you can see that they're you know turning the pizzas. They seem to be uh, rolling out the dough well, you know, not rolling out, but you know, spreading the dough well with their hands. There's some clues you can have versus if it's if the whole kitchen is kind of hidden behind in the back, don't really know what's going on. Well, there's chances that, you know, it's not very artisanal or this, it's not really a craft. Yeah, I look at, um, I, I think I prefer that though, when it comes to if I was making the pizza only because I'm very, very picky about like being watched while I cook. I like to focus a hundred percent into what I'm doing. But yeah. um, I mean, honestly, if you go to a pizza place, you want to see that stuff happen in front of you. I have a local yeah. joint called Mioni's and they classify themselves as like a full on Italian restaurant. So like they're sitting there tossing dough in the back, you know, yeah. doing crazy type things, watching you. Like I always say that it's probably the best form of therapy, just getting able to beat the shit out of this dough thing. 
you know, take yeah. all your problems out into it. But it's important because, I mean, as people you're seeing now, we're all being very health conscious, even though we enjoy pizza, everything's turning vegan movements, turning into all these different things. Yeah. I know Scott was talking about working with a seafood pizza, trying to find ways to incorporate that on there, a little bit of healthier options and stuff too. But, you know, I always give Mike crap because he always likes to make a dessert pizza. And I think that's not really pizza when you turn it into a bit of an ice cream. But I mean, to each is their own, like we say, based on what your preferences are. I think uh, you when you came across Mike's live video of him doing the uh, Chick-fil-A pizza, you saw some people that were commenting like, this is crazy. This is not going to work. This is. And I think that's a lot of what really kind of hurts the industry or hurts the craft a little bit is the fact yeah. that we got to be creative with these things too. Obviously not putting a whole box of fruity pebbles on top of a pizza, but finding different combinations of meats and different types of cheeses and finding different styles to create it, make it unique and interesting. Cause I think we all have a specific moment in our life when we're kids sitting down and enjoying a slice. Yeah, no, it's a, yeah, it's, it's really tough. Cause in the, even the chain stores are trying to make their things more artisanal looking. So then they'll try to say uh, Domino's is saying, oh, their dough is hand-tossed or this or that, but, you know. No, that's a good one. When it comes to um, a specific memory that you have, what's one that you really sticks out into your head? Like something as a kid, maybe when you come across pizza slice, and you're like, this is amazing. I want to keep eating this. Like we all got those, something that sticks in your head. Whenever you're rolling out that dough and you're creating your pizzas for Instagram, it could be even as an adult now, maybe a few months ago. Yeah. You got something that sticks in your head that always brings you back to that moment. So, yeah, you just made me think of one, actually. I was... Uh... So I was doing a, a month, I lived for a month in, uh, in New Haven in Connecticut. And there, I, I think I ate the most pizza I've ever ate in my life. Like I was trying out all the places And New Haven is renowned for their particular style, which is like in New York, but it's made in these cold fired ovens. So it gets, and they char it a bit. So it's a bit more charred than usual. So it's a bit kind of thin and crispy and super huge pies. They put even clams on, on those. And it's super close to New York too. So I got to organize a pizza tour to, to Brooklyn, Brooklyn and Manhattan a bit. I just asked my, my pizza friends, the pizza community, okay, you know, I want to try to be able to walk to all the places or take the subway and hit maybe, so I did six, six spots in six hours, you know, and at the end of the day, I just couldn't eat another slice, but I was just so happy coming on the ride back home. I mean, it's the best drunk food I also look at, too. I mean, some of the best experience I've had is with pizza, not even being drunk, but being a kid, like your parents leaving you $20. And this is where my issue with Uber comes in is because back in the day, your parents left you a menu or something on the table. They said, this is the pizza joint. You're going to order whatever you want. Here's $20. Go nuts. Okay. You spent that $20 on the first day. So the next day you were like scavenging for like coins in the couch or something. But I remember, um, I always talk about Uber Eats being terrible because it gives you like this food delivery, these Grubhub places, these food taxis, they let you pick from anywhere. You can go and get a slice from Pizza Hut then roll over down to McDonald's, grab a cheeseburger. The next thing you know, you got five different orders from five different places for you and your friends. Back in the day, it was like you gather up your friends, you do the tribal whatever conch call, and everybody comes downstairs like, what are we doing? What are we ordering? And um, I would be like, all right, let's let's order Domino's. Next thing you know, we're getting a couple pizzas or something. My buddy's like, do they have fish sticks? I'm like, it's 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 a pizza place. They're not having fish sticks. Yeah, Shut, what yeah you, you learn to be you learn to be less picky. It's a good, yeah, it's definitely a good lesson as a kid. You're not like 
versus now if you can everybody custom now that i think that's one of the issues with the industry is that i think the chain stores are even thinking that that's what customers want is like ultra ultra 110 percent customizable things versus restaurants that will be like here here's a kind of package of toppings that we know works very well together why don't you try it out or like here are some different combinations you can try out and have some kind of preset options instead of the just customize whatever it will taste like cardboard it'll the flavors won't really mesh well together um it's like trying to put um when you put your candy into like a drink or something like a water and then you sit there and let it sit there forever and then you think it's gonna taste like candy water but it's nothing like you expected <laughs> at all never try never try that well, it, it's, I tried it. I was an idiot. Trust yeah. me. Um, but uh, when it comes to Papa John's, like I think when they first decided to do online delivery, like you could order your pizza online for like yeah. the first month, they didn't have an option that told you this is too many toppings or something. So people were ordering everything on there. And like, eventually the pizzas were just like, this is way too much. And it's not good when it gets there. It's not very, I mean, I think the main thing that causes us to eat something also is appearance factor. You want it to look edible. I think that's one of the etiquette that a lot of these establishments try and do. Um, you know, I've been to places where I've gotten a slice and I've watched my buddy's mom grab a napkin and put it on top of the pizza and just press her hand down and soak up all this grease that she lifted off this napkin and put it off the side. She goes, now you can eat it. I'm like, I don't know if I want to anymore. The, the classic uh, grease, grease block. Yeah. I think that's a big issue too. Cause I mean, you probably experienced it. I mean, if you're delivering pizzas to like people that are, you know, dealing with this COVID situation, I mean, that's a yep. big thing. You're going to see a big spark in a lot of you guys, a lot of these pizzaiolo people that are trying to help out the community, trying to get them a sense of food. And you got to put a lot of craft and care into your stuff. I mean, like you were saying with uh, the amount of, I guess, a free mobility on whatever you can choose from that creates a giant issue because eventually people are like i want to i want my pizza shaped like batman i want my pizza shaped like yeah. this and like what, what are we playing god now like we can't just do this with everything we got to understand yeah. that there's rules and expectations to go by yeah to less let the let the artisans kind of make suggestions you know and then learn learn from that what, what would you say would be the biggest problem that you face at least doing this pizza adventure Ah, oh, that's a good one. Um, I think it's trying to trying to trying to kind of come up with new stuff or trying to be a bit inventive, especially for the, the Instagram feed. Trying to always take good shots and not, you know, sometimes in a mode of just like, okay, this one's just for myself. You know, I don't I don't care what it'll look like. And others, then I'm like, oh well, I should actually maybe save a photo instead, just for my blog, just in case I end up eating it needing it so I, I think that's a the fine line of juggling like fun versus then a bit when the hobby becomes a bit of work or you you feel like oh i got to put out some new content some more new content versus being like okay that's fine you know small pizza community people know that people get busy and it's expectations of constant content or maybe uh, not there even though you think they're there do you ever feel like um, it becomes a little bit of a task or you have some days where you're just like, I can't craft out a pizza today. I'm just not in the mindset for it. What's nice about the pizza making though, is that it, you can kind of compartmentalize it. So let's say it's a day that I'm not feeling like in the mood to, to bake a pie. Cause that involves more, uh, more cleanup generally, but I might be in the mood to make dough or to make pizza sauce, to 
cook my sauce. So that way I can kind of mix it up. And also with, with um, when you start doing cold proofing, so when you start letting your dough uh, slowly ferment in the fridge for an extended period of time, can be up to like five days, gets a bit more flavor, but it also gives you flexibility of like, okay, today I'm not feeling it. In two days, the dough might be even better. You know, okay, it'll be in two days. So I've got a bit of flexibility with that. I always got, almost always have dough ready in the fridge. Do you um try and uh, at least look up any more information or try and go to a few sites, maybe review some pizza slices? I mean, it, when you're making it all the time, it seems like you probably have this vast amount of inf- information in your head that's like, this pizza needs this added to it. This pizza should have been cooked a little bit longer. This yeah. pizza, like For me, I wouldn't have any of that taste because the only thing I've ever made that comes to a pizza is a freaking Lunchable, and that didn't turn out well <laughs> at all. A Lunchable? was that? You don't know what a Lunchable is? Nope. Dude, all right, so they're like – little snack things for kids they come in a container it's got like the little pizza circular like crust things like this oh my god and uh they have like pepperonis you can add to it your own little cheese and a little pizza sauce in a packet oh, you can make your own little pizza like some kindergarten stuff but you know what i'll eat it now it's it's a okay. good thing it's easy for people like me that don't know how to cook very well okay <laughs> But what was your what was your question about the lunch? I was bowl? saying, so how do you make that how do you make that style? Like what how do you choose out? Like when you go to a pizza place, oh like, yeah, what's the, what's the first thing you're analyzing here? When you take that bite into that slice, are right. you a cr- crust man, you cheese bro? What are you, dude? So it's so really it's it's all aspects. But for sure now, like even though I don't post that many reviews, every time I travel, uh, like I went to LA for a conference uh, two months ago, then I, I made sure to hit up hit up like four spots in LA then made a little blog post about reviewing uh, each place. Uh, so I've done it a few times. And now I agree that the more you do it yourself, and the more you, you're kind of seeing the work of your fellow craftspeople, uh, it's crazy, like the amount of skill, even in just the Instagram pizza community, some people were like these home bakers and they're making pies that are like way above restaurant level that what you like commonly encounter. So, so now I think what I look at is it has to suit the style. You know, so I won't judge a New York pie based on Neapolitan criteria and vice versa. So New York, like a Neapolitan t- pie should be soft, chewy, should have a nice little leoparding, which is the kind of charring that you get all around the crust. Um, it should be soft. And when you cut it, it should, uh, it should droop a bit. That's okay. The sauce should be just fresh San Marzano tomatoes. That's a region in Italy. A bit of salt, a bit of basil, you know, very very uh very simple fresh mozzarella that's it versus your new york which you expect to be if you were in new york walking around a busy new york street just at, at during your lunch break you want your whole slice to be able to hold hold by itself to not like fall on the ground so that's why the new york style is a bit more uh, crispy probably and it's baked at a lower temperature so that's why it's like you know comparing apples to oranges but i still have my kind of inner criteria for when i'm looking at the new york or the Neapolitan or Detroit style. Even. Well, you, like don't Detroit, want, you don't want so much stuff on one slice of pizza where it's like it's like like stacked up like a boat or something. But you also don't want so many toppings on there that when you go and take that pizza slice and put it into your mouth, there everything's falling off the side of it. Like the cheese is pouring off the side. It's all dripping onto the plate. And then eventually you got to be a savage and use a fork to clear up the rest of the uh, oh. pizza <laughs> stuff. Like it should all be able to be stable onto a pizza slice. And you don't want to bite into it and then feel like you just bit into glass. Like it's shattering your mouth or something you want that thick 
kind of soft crustness to it. Like for me, I like a nice little bit of a crusty end piece of a crust. I think that's oh, a good okay. that's a good spot. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, you look like what's interesting about all the pizza yolos, especially you guys, like you, Edgar, Scott, um, yeah. Matt, or Mike, um, is the fact is. When you guys are reviewing a pizza, or you guys are looking at someone else in the pizza community's pictures or something. For someone that doesn't know a whole lot about pizza, they just see it. They're like, "That looks like an amazing pizza." I mean, it's a great yeah. thing. And then you're like looking at it like it's not that good though, because if you actually look at the quality of it, it's picture worthy. It's not food worthy, which I think is a big. Uh, yeah. At one point, is a big thing you guys have to also keep into account. You're gonna mm -hmm. make a pizza, and then you're gonna be like, "This is gonna be good." for a picture i can make it look nice i can do yeah. whatever that pizza hut does in their ads or commercials to make it look nice put like glue on the crust or something but um when it comes to how it's going to taste i feel like you guys are very self-critical about yourselves even though it's better than a lot of what we're getting sold today in the industry it seems like now we're perfectly fine with just reheating something yeah no i think it's also the the talent has talent has grown just because of probably the past 20 years too, because of the internet, everything, globalization. So now a hobby that used to be very niche now is like practiced by so many people. And also one of the revolutions, if you will, in the pizza world is that before um, an oven, a home oven to cook it like 900 Fahrenheit to make good Neapolitan pizza, it used to cost like 20 grand and you had to have a backyard. You know, so if you live in the city and you can't burn a wood, like forget it. But nowadays, it's, some companies are making some for like 300, 400 bucks. They're either, either like pretty versatile with just with gas, with uh, charcoal, with wood pellets. Like that really changed the game, I think. Because now a lot of people, okay, for Father's Day, let's say they got their dad like an oven, pizza oven. And then it starts becoming the family thing. And then the dad, there's a lot of dads on Instagram and on other on uh, Facebook for pizza that are like, okay, this is my my weekly weekly pizza night now with the family and they're showing you kind of see people's progress and progress happened like pretty fast pretty gradually pretty fast over the first six months when somebody's starting out so yeah i think that made a made a difference when it comes to um like you know you're you're, you're looking through the pizza community how often do you come across someone that's really really high and almighty about their pizza like I've only been in a little bit too, like talking with Mike and, you know, I follow them and yeah. everything. And then when I'm looking through, like I'll see people that are just so self-critical and it's like, what, what, I don't understand. Isn't this pizza that we're supposed to would do it with passion and, you know, love, not really focus on like picking yeah. out each other's flaws or something like, oh, I don't think that'll work. Oh, I don't think this will do that. I'm like, well, if it's pizza, like I guarantee to you, you hand that to anybody, they're going to eat it. Yeah. I think there's a, there's, maybe a hierarchy hierarchical way of seeing it like i think the the worst you can do is like criticizing others which thankfully instagram i think just because of the nature of like sharing a photo you can't share like a post you can't share this political thing so it's really just photos of food well naturally it just kind of cheers people up you're not going to write negative stuff you're not going to bash someone else's pizza they'll just remove the comment and remove you and you know move on and then after that you have self-criticism which I think to a degree, you know, it's a bit of a personal thing. Some people are maybe overly critique, uh, overly critique themselves. And then some other people are just, you know, happy to make some pies and feed some pies to friends. And also uh, some people are showing their failures to showing their burnt pies once in a while. And like, Hey, you know, stuff like that happens. 
Honestly, I'd kill a burnt pizza, dude. I, I don't. I always look at like um. I've had experiences where like a certain like I've gone snowboarding and near my hotel there was a pizza place and the guy like burnt the crap out of this pizza slice and he felt so bad about it. He's like, "I'm so sorry, I made you wait like 35 minutes for this pizza and I burnt it. I'm so sorry. I'm gonna make you another one, please. You know all this type of stuff." I'm like, "Dude, I'm gonna sit here and eat this." So I sat there and I ate it with them, only because like it's who cares, man? Like. When someone is that passionate about something to the point where they're basically coming up to me and apologizing and they feel really bad, like if they like lost yeah. a loved one, they're at tears to the eyes or something. Yeah. I'm like, let's sit and enjoy this pizza slice, bro. Because honestly, I think that one, even though it might look bad, like I've seen some pizzas that like the, mm. the cheese is like black and you're like holy shit but then you bite into it like it's actually pretty good. It's just that outer surface part, like finding a diamond in the rough. Well, no, I see for, for myself, I, I'm more of the opinion that I've had, like, I've had, the, I've seen that line, the line between charred and like nice leoparding versus like burnt. And I remember I was in New Haven and I was trying out this pie that was uh, at a famous place. And I, I tried it before. The first time was amazing. So it was this lobster pie. And I really splurged. Okay. It was like 40, 40 bucks for a pizza, a bit way over the top, but it was like fantastic. One of the best I've ever had. And then I go back a week after to have the same thing. And that time it's burnt. So I asked the guy, like, you know, I paid 40 bucks. You know, maybe it's usually for them to make it, it'll be like 10 bucks. So it's just a matter of just baking another one. But then the guy was arguing, like, oh, no, this is like, you just don't know what good pizza is. And, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I know what a chart is. And then, then that's too burnt. So but again, that's maybe my, my personal taste. But what I, what I do do for myself is if I burn a pie, you know, I won't necessarily feed it to, uh, to my friends, feed it to people, but I'll feed it to myself. You know, I won't waste good ingredients that are on the toppings. And what I'll do is I'll just re kind of remove, usually it's the outside, outer uh, cornichone that's burnt. And often the underside is not that bad. Toppings are fine. You know, I'll eat it for myself. How do you feel about the wastefulness of ingredients when it comes to making pizza? Like it seems like a lot of places like pizza joints, restaurants, they heat up, they do a pizza. Obviously you get to take some home if you work there. I know buddies that work in like yeah. fast food or work at these pizza joints. They always talk about bringing home pizza or something for dinner and heating it up or eating it cold yeah. the next day. But I look at like, do you think that, that all these giant corporations that might throw out all these ingredients, do you think there's a way of possibly donating a lot of these things to like mm. homeless shelters or good corporations, like starting a benefit? Like if yeah. you're going to throw that pizza out, might as well feed somebody with it. I mean, if somebody tells you this food is past expiration date, they legally yeah. have to throw it out. But could you mm. get a waiver sign saying if it's a day past expiration date and it's never been opened, do you think that's going to make somebody sick? It's like the person's already starving to death yeah. as it is. Why just why throw it away? That's interesting. I think uh, I think unofficially, I think a lot of pizza pizza stores are kind of more independent artisans. I think are doing that. I think are you know offering okay, we've done these many pies, still got some dough. Let's just go and feed the homeless in LA. Like, so I've seen, I've seen a few pieces of places do that. Uh, I'm not sure it's, it's as a routine, but I, I've seen it been done for sure. Now with a waiver, I think it's a good idea. It's interesting. I, I just look at it because, I mean, you're really trying to feed the public. I mean, if you're getting into the pizza business, you're not super getting into it for the money aspect. You're getting into it out of the enjoyment. You're getting into it out of watching yeah. somebody's face light up. I mean, what when you when you first made a pizza for somebody, what mm -hmm. was that experience like? Like, it had to be an amazing feeling watching somebody tear open a slice of your pizza. Yeah, so that's a, 
that's a good, I don't, it's interesting. I don't remember the first time, but now um, I'm really enjoying the past like three months since we're all, uh, you know, stuck at home and can't really go out. And, and that I've been enjoying delivering, you know, pizzas to my close friends and friends who work at the hospital. And for them just to see, yeah, to see the smile it brings on their face, to see how excited they are. Um, you know, I try to experiment, try to make them learn about pizza and try to show them these new fancy ingredients or, or just even the classics or just one of my friends is like, man, I really want, he asked me for mucho toppings. I'm like, okay, you want mucho toppings? I'll do it. I'll go all out. How many's mucho are we talking about here? So I, I did go mucho, but it was like, I think they were well paired together. So the flavors came, came together well, but it was still pretty thick, but I did it on a Sicilian dough. So it's like a bit of a, like a focaccia kind of dough. You know, if you can imagine it's a bit airy, but a bit thicker, so you can support it. But you won't have like five slices of the thing. You'll have like one slice and that's your lunch almost. And when it comes to the craziest combinations you've ever been, have you ever been asked something crazy or have you ever seen a crazy combination for a pizza? Like for instance, I came across oh, a man. pizza and I told Mike about this and Mike sticks by it. So Mike, if you're listening, I'm letting you know, I'm giving you crap on this one. Nutella, yeah. Nutella on pizza, you can't do that. I just, I see that as that's too much. So I, I listened to the show when you were talking about that combo and I, I've actually done that. I've done the Nutella banana, Nutella banana, and I've done a smiley face with the two bananas as eyes and then other slices as the, the smiling face. That's creative, but I don't think that's right at all. I'm sorry. Just, I, and then the, powdered sugar. You add powdered sugar. On oh that. my God. Come on, man. What is this? Uh, are we making a pizza funnel cake here? What are we doing? Visually, it's cool too. Visually, it's cool with a little like, I it's feel like, like no. th that's a lot about what, what it is, though. It's a very appealing, um, you know, I've come across pizzas that I'm like, I'm not going to bite into that because it looks like death. But then there's are some that out there, like you see the craziest combination, especially with Instagram, you notice um, yeah. doing the social media on that. It's all about the picture. Nobody gives a shit about the taste because they can't taste yeah. it. You know, you can make a really crappy pizza, but if it looks good. You know, that that's, yeah. you just want people to get that double tap. And then that's when you start getting your following up and everything. Yeah, I think right. it's a really, really different. Um, we see people like that are pizza bloggers, pizza yolos, home pizza yolos like yourself. You know, it's, it's a way to bring the people in. And like with Mike, where he teaches classes or Edgar, he's trying to show people how to make stuff online. Like it's all about also making it pretty applicable applicable to other people that want to try it themselves i mean you're talking to a wide variety of people that are following you that don't yeah. don't that can't that can't make their own slice at home yeah no that, that's a good point so what i've been doing recently is that i've had a few uh you know like flour has been sold out of stores like everywhere yeast has been sold out but there are a few of my friends who managed to get their hands on like this huge jumbo bag of flour and a bit of yeast and they're like, hey, you know, I want to get into making bread. I wanted to get into sourdough. I wanted to get into this. And for sure, I think I've, I've, been, uh, I've been adapting my, my teaching for my pals because I have this one part of me that's like going all out OCD. I'm like, okay, I'll do my new show with all my scales and everything. And okay, increase fermentation time, the temperature, playing around with all these variables, which is super fun, but it's a bit, you know, kind of for the pizza nerds, perfect. But for my friends who just, I don't want to overwhelm and I would just want them to enjoy like the first homemade pizza. Uh, I've been kind of adapting and trying to find recipes that are okay. You know, go with this source, try this guy's recipe or go pretty well. And sometimes it's been about giving tips to improve the bake. Just improving the bake can make a difference. 
So for example, if you're making this one method called the skillet, skillet boiler method, that's been uh, on seriouseats.com. They've had a, a few good, like really good beginner recipes. So skillet boiler is to kind of replicate the kind of high temperatures you get in a 900 Fahrenheit degree oven, but just with your home oven. So to make a Neapolitan pizza that has a bit of char, but without having any fancy tools. So you kind of make your base on the skillet, on, a, you know, on your stove top, and then you chuck it under the broiler for like 40 seconds of high. So that way your base gets done and then your top gets charred. But it, it, it's, not, it's not as great as, you know, having a, your own home oven that's uh, made for making Neapolitan pizza, but it's been working well. And for New York pies, the other thing I recommend is just either just a basic pizza stone that you preheat. So that's one thing. People just put their pizza on there and the stone's not preheated. So it's actually gonna almost absorb all the heat from the oven as you're baking the pie. You want it to be already pre preheated. Maybe ideally with the temperature gun, you kind of check or just like 20 minutes after still reach the temperature, then you know, okay, it's probably at that temperature, like 500 Fahrenheit, highest your oven can go. And then you put your pie on there. So just that really improves pies. So what I've been seeing a lot too with, um, there's a difference I find the masters really in the craft are the people who are both like chefs and bakers. But for most people, people will either be like super good at baking or super good at chefs. And the issue sometimes with people who are super good at chefs but don't understand bread as much and fermentation and everything is that the toppings will look amazing. And like a lot of on these like home cooking recipe um, magazines, you'll see this. You'll see a pizza, wow, it looks fantastic. And you see that rim of crust, it's like white, it's like not even barely cooked, you know, barely cooked, no char, and no, it's kind of flat. Like, so, a, like a raw, like a raw dough. Uh, almost raw or just kind of very bland. Usually it's recipes for, for people at home will, will be uh, geared for people who want pizza like fast. People who are like arrive at 5 p.m. at home, like, hey, I want pizza tonight. I want to make it. But just being able to uh, schedule in advance, telling yourself, okay, I, I'll, I feel like tomorrow I'll want pizza or after tomorrow I'll want pizza. Making your dough in advance for flavor development, that's like, that's where you get the high yield gains, you know, I think. You mentioned um, like bakers and chefs that kind of have this extra boost of knowledge when it comes yeah. to making a great slice of pizza. I have a feeling that you said you were a physician by day, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That has to go into pizza making a little bit too, just being able to understand kind of the structure of things too. I mean, not maybe the physical aspect of what a human body's like, but also the components of what goes into a structure of a good quality pizza as well. Yeah. I think so. I do. Uh, so yeah, I'm, uh, so I did my, uh, my, my medical degree and then I'm doing my sub, subspecialty training right now. And I do a bit of research too. And I find it's the research, especially this helped me in understanding how, uh, you know, you, you want to have a bit of a controlled environment. Although of course with sourdough, for example, sourdough is uncontrolled. It's a bit of a living organism. So it's a bit more intricate. But still, when you can control and kind of tweak variables one by one, that's kind of how you know that, okay, well, this recipe, this is why it's working. Because when I tried tweaking this particular variable that was, I don't know, just the temperature, just the, the bake, the this or that. And to know which steps, to have kind of milestones of, uh, okay, when I know that have criteria, for example, oh, when my dough has like, it's a very, has a nice little bubble there. Or when I look in the glass and it looks like it has a bunch of bubbles, it's probably the good time. 
So to have a bunch of uh, criteria you can use so that, okay, I'm at the right step. Now that means I can to have a bit more method, but I'm still, I'm still not going as OCD as some people who are, you know, I don't know, are chemistry based and have excellent understanding of gluten because it's still my hobby. So I want to go OCD, but not to the point that I lose the fun out of it. Yeah. You want to make it more of like a passion thing and more of like, um, if it one, you know, you do have a passion ends up being bad. It's still fun. It was fun doing the process of it. I feel like eventually it becomes so much like a business. You learn so much about it where it's like, Oh man, I forgot to preheat the oven to 800 degrees. I forgot to do this. I forgot Uh to do that. It's like, dude, you're not even having fun with it anymore. Like I watched that in Mike's live video. There are people commenting, like, if you do this, your pizza is going to be terrible. Pizza's going to be just commenting. I'm like, you're supposed to have fun with this. This is supposed to be an enjoyment. Like you're trying a new venture. You're trying a Chick-fil-A pizza. It's going to be different. It's going to be unlike what anybody's seen before. So any input is just ridiculous, but that's the fun of the craft. I'm pretty sure you probably have your own routine when you come home. Like when you're coming home to make a, a pizza, let's say it, either one that you're making for yourself is probably going to be different than you're making an order. So when you're making an order, how do you typically try and structure it out? Do you play any smooth jazz? Do you, do you do anything like get the mood set? Cause like when I'm in the kitchen, I don't yeah. want anybody in there, but I like to have like a podcast playing in my ear or something. I like mm-hmm. to have like where I could, if I want to dance in the kitchen, I could dance in the kitchen. That's I think, I think the setup is definitely, it's definitely important to be in the, in the kind of in the zone, like same thing for people in sports. And definitely when you're uh, practicing pizza as a, as a craft, for me, my zone is, you know, when I don my apron, I've got my apron on, I've got all, I like having everything set up, everything prepared. So, you know, I've had a few times when making pizza where it's a bit more improv and then you're getting confused and then, oh, you forgot this in the oven and you forgot this in the stove and then it gets a bit too crazy. But when all your prep is done, that I feel kind of relaxes me. So let's say when all my, uh, I've got these little containers, either stainless or just ceramic containers with uh, with my sauce already there, my different cheeses, different toppings. And then from there, that's when I improvise. That's the fun part of improvising is when it's already laid out there, you can kind of see the ingredient options you have. And then you try some combos you maybe won't have thought of. So you try adding this and then, oh, this extra layer of this could, oh, maybe be a good complement. So to start with a few things, okay, do I want a white base? So just olive oil and a cheese, or do I want a red base with the red sauce, San Marzano sauce? Uh, so I think definitely the setting and the zone. I have I've been listening to music sometimes, but just I don't have like a pizza pizza play, playlist yet, you know. You gotta make a pizza playlist, dude. You gotta have something on there. You gotta have some Katy Perry's firework. Are you telling me that's an emotional pizza? You talked about a banana or a Nutella pizza with a banana smiley face. That's yeah. one that'll have tears on that bad boy. When you start playing Katy Perry's firework, I get emotional when I hear that thing. Oh my. And there's well, there's actually one pizza song uh, that Edgar made me listen to. That's uh it's horrendous horrendously bad but also horrendously good in that it's like as a pizza guy you just appreciate it it's just funny there's this heavy metal song called uh, like i want pizza or something and the guy it's a bit like almost um psychedelic you've got all these pizzas floating around in the sky everywhere and the guy's just yelling that he wants pizza and the oozy cheese and the thick crust tripping through tripping through the pepperoni galaxy i'd call it yeah that's the song no, I just made that up. Okay. <laughs> that was a good one. It sounded like a funk album, yeah. didn't it? Tripping through the pepperoni galaxy. It sounded like an album more than a song. Yeah, like a 
whole theme of the album, you know? Just got pizza floating through space. That's that's a good thing too. I like about it. if you ever look at a graphic artist and they have a design on pizza, it's something always crazy or ridiculous, like trippy. Uh, it's like the uh, the the drips of the cheese in space or something. I'm like, this is amazing that like there's this one food that we all connect on. Like it's like hot dogs, burgers are pretty popular, but pizza is like anywhere you go, you ask somebody. What, what what's your favorite slice of pizza they're immediately like uh cheese uh pepperoni uh meat lovers uh whatever they all have this thing and this connection to something which i think is important especially people like um you that cook this thing you're giving a lot of enjoyment to a lot of people i'm pretty sure you've seen that from delivering these pizzas i mean especially yeah. with the covid situation you've delivered pizzas to dan um yes yeah. gonna be a future guest on the podcast um you see his face light up like holy shit i just got my own personal pizza he would have probably eaten an apple or he would have eaten yeah uh, maybe not a healthy option but he would have found something like a snickers bar or something to eat because that's all he can yeah. get he's not able to leave he's not able to get anything yeah. besides the store there or the little break room but you're feeding yeah. him his own personal pizza so he gets enjoyment out of something he's dealing with every day that might be super tasky yeah no, it feels super fulfilling because even though, uh, so I'm actually working in medicine, but uh, where I'm training, I'm, I'm more in the laboratory side of things, so in pathology. So I don't feel as involved in the fight against coronavirus. So it's kind of my way to, my way to help because I see my friend who's, he's ris risking his life while I'm, you know, in my office there with my microscope. So it's, it's a good, it's a good ex exchange. You know, I get to feel good. He gets to have a great pie. And he often uh, will, he'll make some requests. Oh, can you try this topic? Can you try this thing? So it allows me to experiment too. But I've seen pictures of his, uh, the food he's having in the cafeteria and I felt bad. And I've been seeing the options there with, you know, your kind of the microwave potato, uh, mashed potatoes and the yeah. little green beans there. Yeah. So you look at it, you're like, all right, now you need some real food. If you're going right, to be fighting this deadly virus, you don't want anything that's going to hurt your immune system anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Strengthen it up with some good, uh, good old oregano on the crust. Let me tell you. So, you know, Robbie, that's interesting when, uh, when you're talking about how people conceive of pizza as unhealthy, but I think for, for a lot of things, like once you start making stuff yourself with quality ingredients, no preservatives, everything fresh and not like over the top toppings that you're eating in moderation. You're not like eating like three pies, you know, pizza can be pretty healthy, honestly. I know a bunch of bodybuilders. See, I'm a big fitness freak. So I died okay. in that um, rabbit hole of studying nutrition, studying yeah. muscular or muscular structure of all these types of things. It's actually yeah, something sure. I got super passionate about because I wanted to know since I was interested in, it, I want to know as much as I possibly could. Yeah. So when I started noticing like all these people that are doing this farm to table act or doing like growing yeah. fresh ingredients and stuff, I'm like, yeah, it's perfectly fine to eat these things that we consider. I mean, stereotypical pizza, at least if you're going to a restaurant or something, it's pretty bad for you only because of the quality ingredients that a lot of places are using or stuff that's bought from a store. Um, it's very, very greasy, very, very soaked with a lot of things that aren't very healthy, but there are pizza joints now that I think it's becoming a big increase, which is I'm hoping you've probably noticed is that all oh, yeah. these people are looking at their food a little bit closer. They're like, 
this pool of grease is not going to be good for me later down the road. Like using fresh tomatoes, making your own sauce that way. These types of things, you're getting all the essential ingredients and you don't have to eat it like separate, like diced up on the side. Like I got to eat this chopped up tomatoes and then these green beans. No, you can have that on a pizza and make it really, really good. And it still gets your servings of your vegetables and grains and all that. Yeah, I try to compromise it the best. So I've been uh, playing around with uh, uh, with my dough, for example. I've been playing around with flour. So I try to always have about 10 to 20% of my fl the, the flour weight will be weight in, uh, in whole wheat flour. Because um, that's, I think, another issue is that it's a bit tricky to go 100% healthy and to go 100% whole wheat or even gluten-free dough is super difficult and yeah, it's you'd really end up binge eating if you, went, if you went 100% clean, you'd end up binge eating. Pardon me? I said, if you went 100% clean, like if you were like, I'm going off junk food, I'm going on a healthy yeah. kale diet or something, you will binge eat after like a couple of days. Yeah, exactly. You got to give yourself a little treat, I think. You can't go with the top because I think the thing with diets is people just bounce back. I think that's, well, that's also what's hard about making pizza in general, too. Like now you guys are everyone's adopting this healthy lifestyle of we like to see bad food. And by bad, I mean, really, really stuff that's not good for our systems, but it looks freaking amazing, like a double chocolate pizza or something. But we like seeing that, but we don't want to eat it ourselves. We're more about this healthy lifestyle. Like I know people that are making quiches based on different types of pizza styles are trying to incorporate it in that way. And I look at it and I'm like. We're all looking for healthy options of food, which is why vegans becoming super, super popular. People think all vegetables work. And I'm like, it's got to put a giant task on you as like, a, first of all, a seller as well, because you're trying to, uh, you know, hop into this pizza lifestyle. And now they're telling you, oh, we have to shift gears because society's changing in a way. Yeah. I think pizza at least is pretty, it's not like a, you know, a rotisserie chicken place where you, you know, you're just not going to come up with a vegan option there at least with pizza even with ne with neapolitan style especially you know it's pretty easy to do just vegan if you start having some vegan cheese then you're all set but i, I see what you mean too you were talking on with uh, with edgar about how um it can feel a bit disingenuous if you see these stores are adopting all these gluten-free and all these vegan approaches but they're really just doing it to satisfy customers rather than actually because they believe in it because they've fine-tuned it so often the vegan option or the vegetarian option won't be as elaborate or as uh, appealing but I, I think that that's changing with the artisans artisan pizza places that's different i think they've they're way in advance for that i think especially when covid um is kind of dying down in places like restaurants are going to be open to having people at least inside again not just yeah. delivery i know uh delivery services everyone's starting to was starting to buy locally which was very good so a yeah. lot of these giant uh corporations kind of were like shutting their doors a little bit but um mm -hmm. you know you get to see a different side i think this is a more creative side of people that has really awakened with all of this going on you saw so yeah. many people starting their own business ventures at home uh, people that are even buying their own pizza ovens to even create these things. I see it as a benefit in that factor that I think when we do open back up, 
a lot of people are going to have some new life choices, some new life decisions made, but also have a passion that they want to chase down, much like yourself. I mean, you'll probably see once this opens back up, you'll be getting business orders even more, only because mm -hmm. people want to experience what that good food is. I think it's going to shock our taste buds when mm -hmm. we go and try and eat that normal food that we considered normal for so long. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This doesn't taste anything like I was eating before. Right. Before I was eating like a king. <laughs> no, it's super interesting the the shift towards kind of away from globalization and more towards local. That's really been heightened, like for sure. I've had a few friends who are uh, who make sourdough bread and and in Montreal and they deliver, and their business has really the the little local business has really boomed just because people are interested in having that connection to kind of farm to table or artisan work and appreciative of like okay, well this guy is like biking over to deliver a, a bread he made like yesterday and like, an art he spent perfecting for like three years it's um it's it's what i've always talked about in this podcast from the very very beginning i always talked about that deep human care to want to help one another and want to do our part and connect with somebody it's the same thing we were thinking globally for too long and then what happened was we watched people closest to us our neighbors our local businesses severely get hurt and solve the tragedy that they were going through. We pulled ourselves out of this kind of sleep mindset and started to care and buy locally. And I think it's not going to last, sadly. Um, I think it's the same thing you experience after a terroristic attack is when everyone comes together for that a couple months or something. We're going to have new ways of living when this all goes back for a couple months, but we'll fall back right into our old way. And I think the most important thing to avoid that is to understand and stay connected with the people that are around us, whether it's people down the street from me or whether it's you and me connecting from different countries. It's important to find that humanness in there. Oh, yeah. So you've been buying uh, some uh, lo local stuff recently? Yeah, I've been going to local farmer's markets that open up. It's a kind of a pain in the ass only because they make you do so much to be able to look at the food in the first place, like mask, hand sanitizer. It feels like you have to take 30 showers and an acid bath before you're able to get your groceries. But I think it's... I think it's important too. And um, one of my local grocery stores, uh, what they did was they started buying uh, local produce and selling it into their grocery store. So they were trying to help out at least some of these community sellers. Because I mean, I'm the type of guy, if I come across you selling strawberries on a freeway, I'm buying some strawberries on a freeway. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because you see, you see the family there with the, the kids there, you know, walking outside and they're under the little tent. And for sure, you're like, okay, I want to. Or it just looks like a trusted guy selling strawberries. I'll buy. If yeah. you're selling strawberries on the side of the road, if it's a good price, I'm buying some strawberries. Oh, that's, yeah, just, sure. that's a rule I live by. It's like a code of ethics in my book. You know, there were no 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 middle people involved, so it's, you feel like you're, you know, you're contributing directly. It's fun. Yeah, especially you know, you're getting fresh, fresh as you can. You ever uh, like when you're doing your ingredients? Do you buy a lot of your stuff, or do you try and find a lot of it? Like maybe grow some fresh vegetables, like tomatoes or something. Yeah, so, so I'm in the city here. So I live in my downtown Montreal. And it's fun because with our, our building, there's maybe uh, like 20, 20 apartments in, in the building. And there's a, there's a garden. We have a little like building garden outside in the, in the parking lot. So we have uh, all my fine uh, fresh herbs come from there. Uh, so I but don't really have uh, space to grow my own veggies and stuff yet. Um, I try to buy... The most local options I can, local options, let's say to uh, 
even when I'm making Neapolitan style and it calls for this particular Italian ingredient, well, often there's kind of a local Canadian grown version of it. Uh, so for example, for flour, I, sh I started shifting away from zero, zero flour, which is supposed to be like the holy grail of flour, but it's very processed. Uh, it's bleached, so, so it gets very white. It's very fine. It's a nice texture, but I found a local organic unbleached flour has been giving me great results so far. So I've been trying to find these alternatives, trying to buy less, uh, less imported things from Italy that, you know, of course have to come by, by plane or by boat and involve a lot of emissions rather than just trying to, or make it yourself, make it yourself. Like I've been pickling my own jalapenos, pickling my own, uh, make red onions, for example, caramelizing my own onions. That way you get it even fresher and you, you know you have the skill to do it anytime instead of having to run, run to the store to buy the canned version. Now, if I was going to ask you, what do you see in the future with what you're doing? Are you, have you ever thought about writing your own book? I mean, a physician yeah. that's also a pizza YOLO, come on, you could literally say physics is pizza or easy. Yeah. Physics is easy as pizza. You know, do something like that. Like I'm already picturing front cover yeah. deals. I'm picturing your face like, on the on the front with like the nice thinking pose like how yeah, you yeah. <laughs> that's a good one you know that's interesting because i haven't gotten to because uh, it's, it's always a trade everything you do in life is a trade-off and right now the, the utilitarian mindset i'm uh, i'm using is that since i'm in training i'm, I'm training to be a subspecialist and to learn my special subspecialty well well i can contribute to more people in you know, a more meaningful way, which is health, um, than my pizza, unfortunately, unfortunately or unfortunately. So it's kind of a trade-off that I'm keeping it as a hobby, feeding my friends, but to make it grow as a business would mean like letting go of patient care or to a certain degree or letting go of clinical skills. So that's the trade-off I'm doing, but versus writing a book would be a great option, for example, because that's scalable, something that's there, it's kind of a legacy and it's kind of super fun. Um, so that, that'd be more of an option than doing delivery myself or physician so that's, that's by look physician by day pizza yolo by night oh there you go you found, found the title i am a man of many talents and one yeah, happens to that. be advertising yeah and, but i think that'd be a good way to sell it yes to show kind of how you can be busy but still make great pizza and i only have two things to say your family Actually, I got three things to say. One, how soft are your hands? That's what I choose when it comes to a, a physician. I want to know how soft your hands are. Yeah. Two is, do you like oregano on your pizza? Okay. And three is, do you like ketchup on your eggs? All right. I've got my answer for those. All so right. first, I don't see patients, right? I, I diagnose cancer under the microscope or a other inflammatory conditions. Let's say you go to a surgeon and they're taking out a cancer, they're taking out a lesion in the colon, uh, and they're anywhere in the skin, a skin biopsy. I'll be reading that under the microscope. So that's what I'm training to, do, to be able to do independently uh, in the future. Um, so I don't see patients, but I do help patients just indirectly. So you know what? It's less of a, I'm not, I don't get gifts from patients who are like, oh, thank you so much for being our doctor. It's more of a, you kind of more get the gratitude from, from you're within, like, you know, you're like the roadie working in the back wings, like the ones that do some that do a lot of the work, but don't get the full on personal interaction. Yeah, exactly. It's like we're consult consultants to physicians. So physicians will be 
I think this is this diagnosis. What is it? Let's have a biopsy. Then we give out the answer or we think it is or what it could be in the potential. Uh, so then question two would be also the soft hands. Yeah, I guess my hands are soft because I, yeah, I just on the microscope and not working too manual. You moisturize, just say it. it's okay. Yeah, I do. I do, man. I do, of course. I need to because listen, ready? Moisturize sunscreen. Got to do it. I, I, I don't like lotion on my hands because the one time I tried to grab a doorknob and after I put lotion on and I spun yeah. and I, it was one of those where you're walking and you're trying to open it as you're walking and yeah. I did it and slammed head first into the door. So I was like, nope. So since that traumatic experience, no, I, no longer. Also fork in the toaster. I don't use toasters anymore. Oh yeah. Fork I, in the I learned, I learned hard. Bad idea. That one sucks, dude. That's why my parents bought the plugs for the outlet. So you can't yeah, do that when plugs. I was little. Yeah. I'll still do it now if I see an outlet. Then you were asking about, uh, what was it? Oregano on the crust. I got, I should try that. What was it? Was it like just dried oregano that's kind of sprinkled on the crust? Or you inside? can cook it into the crust. I just know Domino's, they apply it pretty thick onto the uh, pizza crust. And okay. whenever I have oregano, it immediately, I think Domino's. I mean, I eat salads yeah. every meal, basically. Yeah. So I'll just dump oregano on my salad. And I swear, I'm like, I'm eating Domino's pizza. It's like when you figure out, like, uh, if you put cumin on anything, making a yeah. taco pizza. That's what makes it taste like taco meat from Taco Bell is the cumin from it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you start having a, like certain flavors or flavor profiles are associated with one particular meal. One certain memories, man. Certain that's memory. what I'm talking about. I agree. But then uh, eggs on ketchup, eggs on uh, ketchup on eggs. Think deep on this one because this is a big one. I do, I do even better, my friend. I do, uh, I do sriracha. Sriracha or hot sauce? Hot eggs. sauce is fine on eggs. I want to know, do you like ketchup on your eggs? Because I think that's a psychopath if you put ketchup on your eggs. I, yeah. Mike gives me crap about it, but I still think hot sauce is fine on eggs. Ketchup, my dad does it, and he's not exactly mentally sane. So I come from a family where my mom puts ketchup on her broccoli. That's not bad. I've done that. You done that? Okay. I put ketchup on my salad. I like to think like I went to a, a restaurant one time and they didn't have yeah. any dressings for your salad. So sure. I was like, okay, I'll just take this and I took the ketchup and squeeze it on there. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's tomatoes, right? Just a little <laughs> bit of sugar in there. Like, that's true. And then they were like, they tried it out and they, they put it on the menu. I hope so. I mean, maybe that's my little secret menu item, but it was good. And I still do yeah. it today. Your next cookbook. You've got so many pizza yolos coming on here that you're going to be able to glean some uh, some recipes there. Yeah, you gave me the compliment, pizza yolo reviewer or interviewer. I was like, oh my, I feel yeah. special. I like having you guys on. It's cool because um, I think what's important is that yeah, there's these gr great group of people like you, Mike, um, Edgar, Scott, that are all trying to do something you guys really love to do. And to see you guys all communicate together too, to be a part of that's awesome. I just think it's, it's crazy to see that you guys are so passionate for about something and to see that grow. And I think that's like that with a lot of these communities. Yeah. I remember like when I, when I joined Instagram and I've been on there for a few months, you know, starting to grow my profile, starting to experiment, starting to improve my skills. And then I think it was like almost the same day, Edgar and, and Mike were like, Hey man, love your stuff. Oh, check out my pies and let's help out each other. And then just from there, it's been started. Like, I think I've, I've seen every single pizza they make or they post. They've seen every single of my pizzas kind of tag each other and make sure we don't forget and we get to see it. And we try out each other's recipes. 
So that way you're just growing, you're improving like way more. Like whenever I want tips on a, for Neapolitan style, I'm going to Edgar for sure. Now Mike is really uh, nailing the New York and New Jersey style. He's, he's doing it really well. Got a friends in the UK that are doing Neapolitan and Detroit. So you start to know like who are the resources too. Like, okay, I've seen this guy it's for inspiration. Oh, I've seen this guy. He's making these homemade pickled jalapenos. Guy in Brooklyn, Sean New York Slices. Okay, well, you know, what's your recipe? Do you mind uh, sharing? Just because it's like a small niche community, people are super friendly and want to share their tips. Looks like I got a few more people I got to get on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Give you some names. <laughs> well, hey, Simon, thanks so much for doing the podcast, man. I want to give you here a minute at the end to be able to promote your content, promote your Instagram page, promote yeah. where people can see these. This physician of the pizza craft. Another that's a movie <laughs> deal. Let's go get Ben Stiller in it. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, uh, a great actor. That would be awesome. Uh yeah, so my name is Simon, Simon Roy. If you want to follow my pizzas, um, it's Dr. Dr. Neapolitan. So like Napoli and Naples, but it's Nia, not Neo, Neapolitan. And uh, feel free to hit me up, ask me for tips for recipes on how to do a New York, a Detroit, Neapolitan style, and how to get started, and how to help you out, how to choose your ingredients. So I'm there to help out, help out the crew. Well, I'm going to end it on a really uh, cheesy catchphrase, no pun intended, but it's as easy as pie. <laughs> <laughs>